Season 1, Episode 1 of Black History Moments. This is the narrative of Harry T. Moore and his wife, Harriet Moore, whom I consider to be the first martyrs of the civil rights movement. Before we get into this podcast episode, I do want to introduce myself to you. My name is Shakira, and I am the host of this new podcast, Black History Moments. If you are interested in Black history, unknown stories of figures I feel have been forgotten in our history books and in our past, then please feel free to subscribe to this podcast. And with that being said, let's hop into the story of Harry T. Moore and Harriet Moore. When we think of martyrs of the civil rights movement, we may immediately think of Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, Medgar Evers, and more. But it is very rare that we think of Harry T. Moore and Harriet Moore, and for many of us, we don't know their story, which is why I wanted to kick off this podcast with the story of this couple from Florida. Harry T. Moore was born November 18th, 1905 in the small Florida town of Houston, which is in Suwannee County. The town was a very small farming community located in the Florida Panhandle, which is the northern portion of Florida. So growing up, Harry was an only child born to his parents, Johnny and Rosa Moore. His father, um, he tended to water tanks for the Seaboard Airline Railroad, and he also ran a small store which was in front of their home. When Harry was at the age of nine, Johnny Moore's health started to decline and he died in 1914. Now his mother, Rosa, she tried to manage everything on her own, but again, she was a single mother now and widowed. She was working in the cotton fields. She was running the little store across from their house on the weekends. But in 1915, she sent Harry to live with one of her sisters in Daytona Beach, Florida. The following year, he moved to Jacksonville, where he spent the next three years living with three other aunts, Jesse, Adriana, and Macy Tyson. Now, for a young Harry, this would be one of the most important periods of his life, especially for his younger years. While living in Jacksonville, they had a very large and vibrant African-American community with a proud tradition of independence and intellectual achievement. Harry's aunts were educated. They were well-informed women. Two of them were educators themselves and one was a nurse. And according to different articles, they took him under their wings and treated him as a son that they never had. And under their guidance, he already had a natural inclination to education and learning more about things and especially about the black community. But it was just pushed forward more once he started living with these three aunts. After three years of living in Jacksonville, he moved back home to Suwannee County in 1919, and there he enrolled in the high school program of Florida Memorial College. Over the next four years of the program, he excelled in all of his studies. He made straight A's except for one B plus, according to an article that I was reading, and they nicknamed him Doc. His classmates and teachers called him Doc because of his academics and how smart he was. Fast forwarding a little bit, May 1925, Harry is now at the age of 19 and he's graduated from Florida Memorial College with a quote normal degree and he has accepted a teaching job that he's been offered in Cocoa, Florida. Now down in Cocoa, Florida, which is located in Brevard County, he spent the next two years teaching fourth grade and during the first year in Brevard County, he met a woman. He met a woman. She was 23. She was 
about three to two and a half years older than him. She was a little bit taller than him. And I've seen two different stories about how they met. But one of the ones that I kept seeing repeatedly was that they used to have a gathering of these black teachers at night and they would play cards. And he met her at one of these gatherings. But anyway, this woman's name was Harriet Vita Sims or Harriet Vita Sims. I'm not sure of the pronunciation of her middle name, um, but he met her at this card game and she was a teacher herself, but she was currently selling insurance for Atlanta Life Insurance Company. And within a year of meeting each other, they got married. <laughs> it was just like off to the races. Harry and Harriet got married on December 25th, 1926, which I want you to remember because we go back to that date and why it is important a little bit later in the episode. So Harriet's family lived in Mims, which is a small citrus town outside of Titusville, Florida, and they moved in with her parents until they could build their own house on the same adjoining acre of land that her family owned. During this time, Harry had been promoted to principal of the Titusville colored school which went from fourth to ninth grades um he was doing well for himself he taught ninth grade and he also supervised a staff of six teachers and I know when you hear that you may be like six teachers that's not a lot but for a black school in 19 what 26 that was great especially for the black community now at the same time Harriet left her job of selling insurance and she became a teacher again they had their eldest daughter, Annie Rosalie, who was nicknamed Peaches, in 1928, and they had their baby daughter, Juanita Evangeline, September 30th, 1930. As time went on, Harry became extremely concerned about the Black community and the state of Black people, especially teachers, and beyond his position as a principal and an educator. And that is when, I guess you can say, the trouble started for Harry. So according to a quote from Bill Gary, who is or was the president of the board of the Harry T. and Harriet V. Moore Cultural Complex, he said that over the course of some years, Harry became concerned with the lack of equity in terms of facilities, pay for teachers, materials for his students, and many more issues. And during this time, he received some information from the National Association of the Advancement of Colored People, aka the NAACP. And upon reading about what the NAACP was and their mission and objectives, Harriet thought, hey, I feel like I can use this organization to bring about change within my community and with my family and my friends. So in 1934, Harry organized the first Brevard County branch of the NAACP. He went on to organize more than 50 more branches of the NAACP throughout the state of Florida. Because Harry and Harriet were making so many waves in the community, they were speaking out about inequalities and injustices that were going on and how the teachers weren't equal. Um, life began to get difficult for them. They both were fired from their jobs at the black school because they were making so many waves in this community. And remember, this is early 1900s, 1937 to be exact. And people at the time, um, a lot of black people felt like, let's just keep our head down. Let's not bring a lot of attention here because we want to keep our family and our friends and our community safe, which can be understandable to a certain point. So they were fired from their jobs. 
Now, at the same time, Harry did not let that stop him. In 1937, in conjunction with the all-black Florida State Teachers Association, and it was backed by the NAACP attorney, I'm sure you've heard this name, Thurgood Marshall in New York, um, they filed the very first lawsuit in the Deep South to equalize black and white teacher salaries. So if you are an educator or if you know an educator, a black educator out there, thank Harry T. Moore for that because after this case was filed, it spawned several federal lawsuits in Florida and they also followed suit in other states to bring about equal pay for teachers. This case went all the way up to the Supreme Court. So that is how big Harry T. Moore's impact was in equal pay for teachers, even today. In 1941, he helped organize the Florida State Conference of NAACP branches, and he was named the group's president at that time. Now, in addition to him organizing NAACP groups throughout Florida, in addition to him serving as the group president, in addition to him um, bringing about this suit for equal pay of educators and teachers, he was also getting black people to vote. He encouraged more than 100,000 black people to sign up to vote. He and his wife encouraged more than 100,000 black people to vote. They would go through the back roads of Florida, the rundown areas, the sketchy kind of areas, I guess you can say, and knock on doors and tell people why they should vote. Harry thought that even if a black person could not be elected for a position, black voters could certainly use their leverage to support candidates who expressed an interest in doing better for black citizens. But Harriet and Harry did not stop there. In 1941, Harry moved into a very dangerous area, and that was about lynchings and police brutality of black citizens. So at first, his protests were just letters to the governor, but he quickly threw himself right into lynching cases. He would take sworn affidavits from the victims' families. And he even launched his own investigations when he felt like the police weren't doing enough or if there was some bias involved. So from that point on until Harry and his wife passed, he investigated every single lynching throughout the state of Florida. In June 1946, Harry became a full-time pay organizer for the Florida NAACP, and during his first two years, he built the Florida NAACP to a peak of over 10,000 members in 63 branches. A little bit later, in 1949, Harry became involved in a case that eventually led to his and his wife's passing. So in 1949, you may or may not have heard of the Groveland 4 case. I do plan on doing a separate podcast episode solely dedicated to this case to give you all all the information. But he became involved in this case where a group of black men were accused of raping a white woman. One of the four men was killed by being lynched and the other three were detained by Lake County Sheriff Willis McCall. Of those three surviving men that were detained, one of them was a minor and they were all eventually found guilty by an all-white jury. Harry was basically not going for it and he organized a campaign against what he saw was the wrongful convictions of these three men. So after their convictions were overturned, McCall shot two of the men while transporting them to a new trial venue and he claimed that the two men 
which were both handcuffed at the time, attacked him in an escape attempt. One of the men died at the scene while the other survived and the other one said that McCall shot them in cold blood. But of course, during this time, it was their word against his and you know who won out. Harry called for an indictment against the sheriff McCall and he asked for the Florida governor at the time, which was Fuller Warren, to suspend McCall from office. And that is what led to the bombing on Christmas night at Harry and Harriet's house. So six weeks later, after the hustle and bustle of the trial and after Harry is calling for the sheriff McCall to step down from office, it's December 25th, so this is not only their Christmas, but this is also their 25th wedding anniversary. They spent Christmas just like you and I spend Christmas, if you celebrate Christmas, that is. Um, but they didn't open up their presents because their youngest daughter, Evangeline, she was coming home on the train, so they wanted to wait for her. But their eldest daughter, Peaches, and also Harry's mother, who was visiting from Jacksonville, were both there at the house to celebrate Christmas, right? In a quote I was reading, it said that when the lights went out, the Klansmen who were hiding in the grove close to the house, they waited and then they crawled under the house. And at approximately 10.20 p.m., the bomb went off. One person said that the bomb was so loud it can be heard all around the world. Imagine that, like imagine a bomb being that loud. And it was also so explosive that when it went off, it lifted their bodies up out of their beds and caved them into the ground and it took people to dig them out. Both Harry and Harriet were fatally injured by the bomb. Harry was dead on arrival at the Black Hospital in Sanford, which was about 30 miles away um, but it was the closest that would serve African-Americans at the time. And Harriet died of her injuries nine days later at the same hospital in Sanford. And she also passed just a day after attending Harry's funeral. Their daughter Peaches and Harry's mother were not injured by the explosion because the bomb was planted under Harry and Harriet's bedroom. Regardless of how many people feel about whether or not Harry and Harriet were the first martyrs of the civil rights movement, I believe that they were, and they were also the first couple to be killed for civil rights. It took 55 years before the Morris killers were named. So in 2006, the state attorney, General Charlie Chris, he announced results of a Florida Department of Law Enforcement investigation that named four members of the Ku Klux Klan as being directly linked to their deaths. The investigation said it found no link between the Sheriff McCall and the KKK conspirators, um, but that is still being debated today. There are four artifacts from their house that now reside in the Smithsonian's National Museum of African American History and Culture. So if you're ever there and you see it and you remember, hey, I heard a podcast about that, just remember their story and pay homage to them. And if you're ever in Florida, the Harry T. and Harriet V. Moore Memorial Park and Museum was built in their honor at the site of their murders. It's a 12-acre campus. It features a museum and a replica of the house where the Moors were killed. So if you're ever there, stop by and just lend your appreciation of everything they did for us as Black people, as Black educators, as everything, because they were the original martyrs of the civil rights movement, although we aren't too much aware of their story. 
with that being said thank you for listening and subscribe so you'll be notified every time we have a new episode which is going to be every friday and also share this podcast with your family and your friends thank you for spending time with me and don't forget that you too are black history bye guys